Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Dr. Jean Bereson. And I'm Dr. Steve Schlossman. And we're child psychiatrists at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at the Massachusetts General Hospital. Here's what we'll talk about today. Today we're going to talk about a really complicated topic. I mean, teenagers have a tough time and adolescence is hard enough, but when you've got a chronic illness, it really makes life difficult. I mean, Adolescents are struggling with body image, with academic and performance problems, and their self-consciousness is off the charts. But life is even more difficult when you have a a chronic medical illness. And so today we're fortunate to have Grace Herman and her father, Dr. John Herman, here at Mass General, to talk a little bit with us about what it's like living with a chronic illness during this really tough period. So, I'm sorry for the pause there, folks. I was just thinking out loud. It's we we should probably define chronic illness. A chronic medical illness. Yeah. So by that we mean uh, like an illness that you get, the diagnosis comes, and it ain't going away. Right. right? Like it's going to be around. And for it and a while. it and it invariably messes up your life. Right. So or it, or or you could. We'll hear from Grace how it affects so your things life. like diabetes, transplant, or in, in Grace's. Uh, well, Grace, tell us about it. What what, what happened when you were first diagnosed? So I was 16, and it's actually a funny story. It's I always remember this so clearly because a year prior to my being diagnosed, I had spent the night at a friend's house who had Crohn's disease, and uh, dad picked me up in the morning, and when I mentioned to him that my friend had Crohn's disease, I just remember his face. Like, I'll never forget his face. He sort of, you know, had this look of, oh, that poor girl. And I remember him saying, oh, that's just an, that's an awful disease to live with. That's an awful disease to live with. And so a year later, I had been having all these symptoms and I had been, been going to many different doctor's appointments. And, and finally, somehow I got news that there had been some sort of indication that I, there was like a symptom or when they had done a procedure that was indicative that I had Crohn's disease. But I hadn't gotten it from my parents. Like I'd gotten it from my doctor or something like that. So when I went home, I brought it up to my mom and we were standing in the kitchen. And, and your mom's a nurse, right? My mom's a nurse. Okay. Yeah. So she also had a great deal of experience in the in the medical field. And and I said to her, you know, uh, my friend, she had these exact same symptoms. She told me, and you know, do I have Crohn's disease? And she said, well, I, I think we need to wait. I think we need to wait for Daddy to get home. And and luckily, he came home like five <laughs> minutes later. And, and, you knew, and you knew that something was wrong. Yeah, like I had no idea. But then when I brought it up to mom, it was so clear that the doctors had already gotten in touch with them. And so they were coming up with a way to sort of tell me. So by the time dad got home, I was like a basket case. Yeah. You know, this isn't the direction I thought we would go, but I'm, I'm just really curious. We're, there's no good way to talk mm-hmm. to your kid about mm-hmm. this when this diagnosis comes through. Mm-hmm. Were you okay with the way that went down? Like as you think back on it? I, th- I, I don't think they could have done it any better. I mean, the the way that my mom reacted was not as a, oh, poor you, or this is going to, you know, totally change your life. She brought me into the living room. My little brother was in was in the next room. And she, she just let me talk and me talk about how scared I was without getting into the full conversation because we wanted to wait for dad to come home. And then dad came home. And I guess he had already spoken to, to one of his colleagues who, who was a gastroenterologist. And he was like, all over it. He had all this information and he wanted to explain things to me and and we just talked. We just had a really long talk about it. But how did, how did you how did you explain it to her, John? First of all, I'm 
I'm interested to know that my daughter actually paid attention to me when she <laughs> when I made when I had made a face the year before regarding. So that's informative, Grace. I'll remember that you listen <laughs> sometimes. Uh, but I had knowledge that I had learned in medical school, which was already 25 years before. I didn't have knowledge of the advances in the medical care of this illness. So I had, by the time I got home, informed myself a great deal about it. And I also knew, I guess intuitively, and now I'm hearing by fact, that uh, how the parent reacts is a huge piece of uh, helping the child. So both being informed and reacting in such a way that one hopes conveys confidence and reassurance and safety without saying there's nothing wrong. So so before we get into how the conversation continued and what followed in terms of your development, Grace, for the sake of the public, can you guys define Crohn's disease? Because I'm not sure everybody out there knows what it is. That's an interesting question. I've like I've said it so many times, but I find that I say it a different way every time. So Crohn's disease is an autoimmune disease. What my explanation is to my friends and people who aren't familiar with it is that your immune system recognizes natural things in your body that we all have and uh, and then attacks those things causing inflammation. And that generally happens um, in your intestine and in different you know areas of your intestine. Mine happened to be in my small intestine. Um, in my ileum, which is which is the first thing I found out, and that was sort of the indication that I had Crohn's disease. And the symptoms are? The symptoms are really intense cramping. That's the thing I remember the most. And the worst part about it that I've always felt is the fatigue. I, so the thing about a chronic illness, and I can't speak, obviously, for individuals with all chronic illnesses everywhere. Um, I'm not a spokesperson. But as somebody who has Crohn's disease, it's completely different for everyone. And so for me personally, the worst symptom was how tired I always felt. And, and you know, just, just so everybody knows, Jean and I both know John and Grace really well. You're a really high energy person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so the idea of you being sapped of energy, yeah. that you must have really felt like alienated from yourself, like, yeah. like you weren't you. Well, and point. I was always really healthy. That was the other really odd thing is growing up, I was a really healthy kid. I mean, I would ask my mom if I could play hooky from school some days because I never got sick. I never got to stay home and get, you know, the days in bed. And so I went Wait, but being... what did she say? Did she allow it? <laughs> oh, yeah, she was for it. Okay. She was like, I don't blame you. I, I'd want a break. <laughs> right. But but it had to affect your life. I mean, so how, I mean, what, what would it, you know, what did it do to you as a teenager? You know, you, you know, growing up with, with this, how did it, how did it obstruct things or how, what, what, what happened? I think the hardest thing for me in its immediacy was I was diagnosed at the end of September of my junior year of high school. So in junior year of high school, a, a relatively chill year. Yeah, of high school. just you yeah, know, right, hanging out. Right. Um, and I was in AP classes. I've always been very academically oriented. I was in AP classes. I was an athlete. I was had a very vibrant social life, and all of that had to take a back seat. And at sixteen, nothing takes a back seat in your life. You know, you're going to do what you want to do. And so I think in its immediacy, having to think of the – and I tend to spiral. I tend to think, you know, 10 leagues ahead rather than maybe five feet ahead. And that's something that's really changed in my life since being diagnosed. And what did – again, because we know you guys so well, humor is a big part of your life. And, and there's a whole lot of data about the use of humor when, when used appropriately to confer, I don't know, resiliency, like people being able to handle it well. 
How'd you guys talk about this as things went forward? I would keep an ear out for Gracie for symptoms. The main thing I said apropos her energy, enthusiasm, and wanting to go forward is was to remind her that there's a connection between uh, stress and fatigue and the exacerbation or the, the worsening of the illness. So that was about the only thing I did. And I didn't want to spend much time focusing on it with her because she isn't Crohn's disease. She's a person who does have this. And if she's not, if it's, if she's not bothered by it, then her life goes on as normal as it should. And I should point out to people listening, uh, if you're lucky enough to have a child who is as resilient as this one is, it makes it easier. So it has a lot to do with who gets the problem and, in a way, customizing the approach depending on who the kid is that is yeah. uh, carrying the illness. But we also know that resilience can be learned. So for those kids who are more vulnerable or who aren't as naturally as resilient and upbeat as you are, uh, Grace, what tips would you give other young adults or teenagers and what tips would you give parents about how to, how to, how to cope how to live, how to, how to normalize life. I think the first thing I will say is you can't really, and this sounds very, you know, this sounds very psychoanalysis, psychodynamic, but... We, the, we're psychiatrists just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> so we are right, yeah, I'm yeah. surrounded by yeah. shrinks. This is called shrinking um, it down, this, yeah. this, this so podcast, you know. You can't know, you can't know the true value of success if you haven't experienced failure. And so I had I had never really dealt with true failure, I don't think, in my life before I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And not to say that my disease was a failure, but in learning how to cope with it, in sort of overreaching and not listening to my dad's advice and maybe stressing myself out and my body out more than I than I should have, I did have failures. But that taught me the value of my hard work and and what it takes to get there. So I think what I would tell people in terms of resi- resiliency is first of all, it's certainly the most important thing to me with my illness. I can't predict it. I can't control everything as much as I would like to. And just having faith in that everything will be okay in that if it's not okay now, you're going to find a way to make it work. And when you when you say failure, I I guess what you mean is trying something and not being able to accomplish it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. And and so what you're talking about is sort of, I, I guess it's what we all have to do, whether you have a chronic illness or not. You got to figure out what your limits are and then yes. be able to accept them. Yes. And there's some way that, in some way, this could be a bit of a red herring to say this only happens with chronic illness. This is part of being human, right? Right, like, right. Absolutely. But what I'm also hearing, you know, putting on my shrink hat, is that there's something that's positive that came out of this. I mean, you never never had failures really and now you had something that was that was facilitating failure and you had to learn how to overcome it right yeah i don't know if i was i mean i personally can't say if i was naturally resilient i mean i think it's sort of a what came first a chicken or the egg was i resilient and i was able to cope with my disease or did i get a disease and did i have to be open to learning along the way and accepting help where i can and i'm i'm still learning i'm still trying to learn how to accept help well and also it makes sense right because as you get older your view of this will change because mm-hmm. you're just being a different developmental stage. John, I got to ask you a question. Um, 
so when my first daughter was born, something for which you always send me a text, every, you somehow know Sophie's birthday and Naomi's, which I think is really oh, – John was my training director, so folks can know. Um, so was Gene, for that matter. Uh, but Gene doesn't send me a text about that. But we can cover that later. <laughs> I'll give you the um, dates. Yeah, I, I send you. it to you by, you know, yeah, like I get it. telepathy, I get it. right? Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> yep. Um, I'll tell you right where I receive it. Um, so um, when Sophie was born, my wife and I, also psychiatrists, were so worried about every little thing that we literally kept a lab journal of her of her poops. <laughs> oh, um, and and oh, like, like we measured – we were like, how much? Whether there's crystals? Is she dehydrated? We had time. We had – this is our way of managing our anxiety. And I'm trying to think, hearing this information – I haven't had this happen to me. Hearing this information about your daughter, like how did you manage your anxiety as a parent about this? Well, it gets to the point – a parent knows that bad things can happen. Their greatest worry is that there's something they can do about it that they fail to do about it. So the worry I had is, will Gracie be receiving the very best of medical care and advice? Now, I'm, we're privileged to be in a place that's got very good uh, care and advice. And so I was able to relax because I knew that she had the very best care that she could have. That's not available to everybody, but I can tell you every parent worries that they don't have that or if there should be some better care. So that's how I was able to be comforted, and I have a lot of sympathy because I do this a lot for folks who don't necessarily have that available. But I can tell you, unless you're confident with that, it'll be harder to sleep at night. Got it. That makes a lot. That sounds like a better strategy than measuring poops. <laughs> well, I always say that yeah. uh, anxiety is a malady of an active imagination. Well, I like that. I like that. That's almost as good. What was the one you had? Failure or something? Oh, like you from can't Kung know Fu. the true value of success. Until yeah, this, this is like an episode of Kung Fu. I'm enjoying this. Um, <laughs> We're very deep. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Light some candles. Yes. Right. So. Any other final words about what kids or or parents should need to know? I mean, so John, you're privileged to be in a place where there's a lot of great medical care, so that's one reassurance. But what else? What else would you advise parents to do to manage their own anxiety? Find a trusted source. There is the internet. There is a telephone, and experts often are interested in finding out and helping, particularly, uh, and people are worried about being uh, guinea pigs, particularly advanced um, academic institutions that have research going on. And what about what about communicating with your partner or with other, other adults? I mean, did you get support? Well, again, I had a tremendous amount of support from our community here, and it's a medical community. So that's where so I So you're gained, lucky. I, I recognize my good fortunes, and that's why uh, I encourage others to do their best to find that degree of expertise. And Grace, where did you get your support? Oh, mom and dad, hands down. I mean, even now, I'm 24 years old. I live on my own. I went to university in a different country. But anytime anything is wrong, <laughs> lucky mom and dad, they get the phone call, text, email, smoke signal. <laughs> but you guys must have developed a routine to kind of like effectively communicate with each other about this. Yeah. I mean, it, it took it, t- it takes some trial and errors. Yeah. I think that uh, as dad sort of alluded to earlier is that I am – I like my independence and I don't like being made to feel like I have to rely on someone. But learning your limits like what Steve said is really important. And and you learned a lot about the illness. Mm-hmm. So so it's really important for the teenagers and young and young adults to, yeah. know, to know what the illness is, what, right. what, what, to, what their limits are. 
Well, anyway, I want to thank both of you for coming in and sharing this. And please, everybody, read the blog. Gracie wrote some great, great, wise remarks about living with this. And if you have any comments or questions, just uh, shoot us uh, an email or a tweet. We'll see you next time. I'm Gene Barrasson. And I'm Steve Schlossman. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.